This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey, everybody, Mike Griffith here, and welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat, where we're going to talk about SEC football, Georgia football, second half of the show. We're going to bring Jeremy Pruitt on, take a look around the league. But first, what a victory for the Georgia Bulldogs at Mississippi State, 45-19. to And don't let that score fool you. If you watch that game, you know that the game was closer than the final score. In fact, it was 17-12 to at halftime after the Dogs mismanaged the clock to get the ball back with 44 seconds left couple incomplete passes, they punted away, and Mississippi State returns a kick 63 yards, all of a sudden 17-12, and, and to me, this was a big point in the season. Kirby went to the players in the locker room, DJ Shockley reported on all this, and said, look, got to have you on the offensive line, got to take control of the line of scrimmage, and I'll be doggone if two plays into the second half, Lad McConkey doesn't take an end around 70 yards. Georgia scored on its next possession as well, and kept Mississippi State at arm's length in a game that really could have easily gone south, could have easily turned into an upset alert. You know, but the way Georgia responded, the way they took control of the game in a hostile environment against a team that was really kind of sneaky good. I mean, Mississippi State's got some physical guys, and they play a challenging scheme at 3-3-5 that you don't see every week. It's very unique into itself. So that was a real quality win for Kirby, I guarantee you. It was a fulfilling win for his team to respond the way that they did. Kirby, very complimentary of Glenn Schumann and the way Glenn called plays on third and fourth downs. Mississippi State 0 for 3 on fourth downs, including a, a couple stops in the last 10 minutes of the game on fourth down. So good win for Georgia, some momentum built. Georgia solid number one. Uh, hard to imagine them not having the number one seed if they win out over Kentucky this weekend. They're a 22-point favorite. Then home against Georgia Tech, it's going to be another noon game at Sanford Stadium. Uh, very interesting stuff there. Talking to the players today, they brought in Tramel Walthauer and, and Kiaris Jackson. They both said they remember what you do in November, and they both talked about the SEC championship game. Now, they talked about Kentucky, but in terms of goals, they both mentioned that Georgia doesn't have one in their time there. The Dogs haven't won the SEC championship since 2017. This is going to be the fifth time in six years they've been there. So you better believe Kirby Smart not wanting to lose another SEC title game, much less to LSU, which just barely survived at Arkansas. Their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, he was sacked seven times. And Arkansas didn't have their starting quarterback, K.J. Jefferson. And yet and still, that was a 13-10 to 10 game. Now, we've heard Tequil Spikes uh, say that he thinks of all the teams left, LSU's got the best chance of upsetting Georgia. That's not Spikes picking LSU to win. He's just saying that LSU has the best chance to beat Georgia of the teams that are left. I guess he's including the playoff teams. And his argument is about the LSU defensive line. But LSU doesn't have the offense, okay? I can tell you that right now. They don't have the offense to score on this Georgia defense, not score enough points, I should say. And I just don't see Georgia coming unraveled in that game. I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, first things first, though, Kentucky. And if you're Kentucky, think about the mindset of the Wildcats. You just got embarrassed at home by Vanderbilt. You're the first SEC team in four years to lose to Vanderbilt at home. You got to go all the way back to Arkansas 2018 since Vanderbilt won a road game. You saw Clark Lee after the game. You know, he's, he's breaking down, getting all teary-eyed because it's Vanderbilt. 
And that's kind of what Vanderbilt does when they win because it doesn't happen very often. Uh, But if you're Kentucky, this is a team that preseason top 25 for the first time since 1978. I mean, Kentucky, you know, got towards the top of the ranking. Kentucky went into Florida and beat the Gators. Like, Kentucky had it going. And something went wrong. Will Levis uh, was been projected as a first-round pick at quarterback. I'm kind of still waiting to see. I mean, the guy barely throws for 100 yards. I mean, how, like, what's gone wrong? Are they that – are they – they just don't have any wide receivers? Is that – Chris Rodriguez is back, right? Remember Rodriguez served that suspension and missed, like, the first four games? And the leading returning rusher, he's not made a difference. But, but they can all circle the wagons one last time. They can all – I don't want to say make it right, but if they beat the number one team in the country – that would salvage the season for a lot of Kentucky people. It really would. And to have that Georgia Bulldog head on the wall, because how many times has the dogs beat him in a row? Like 12, 13 in a row. Um, and yet Kirby Smart tells us that if you talk to the players on the Georgia team, he said almost to a man, they're going to tell you that Kentucky has been the most physical team the last two years. Up there a couple of years ago, you remember that game? I think Georgia only scored 13 points. That was the, then later that night, Richard McCowell, got in the motorcycle accident. I think that was the game two years ago that Jordan Davis got injured. That was the game that really derailed the 2020 season. They lost in Tuscaloosa um, after leading 24 to 20 at the half, but they still could have gotten a rematch with the Tide had they taken care of business. They played Kentucky. They won that game, but it was a very physical game, and there was a lot of guys banged up, including Jordan Davis, who injured his elbow and wasn't there when they played the Gators. And Richard LeCount, who got in a motorcycle accident that night and wasn't on the field when they played the Gators, a 14-3 win two years ago. Then last year, last year's win was a bit more impressive. It was close at halftime. Georgia wins 30-13, to but remember how Kentucky, at the end of the game, drove 23 plays to score a touchdown on the last play of regulation? And it was a lot of fight and grit. And, oh, by the way, I think that was a cover for Kentucky. It was one of those bad beat kind of deals. But Kentucky is a gritty team, and Mark Stoops is regarded – is one of the best coaches uh, in, in the SEC. He's, I think he's the second longest tenured at his current school behind Nick Saban. So this is a program that's had a lot of success, that's built a pretty good framework, and yet we're talking about them coming off a loss to Vanderbilt. And now they have an opportunity to play the number one team in the country. So I think it's going to be important that Georgia gets off to a really good start in this game. I think that uh, Stetson Bennett needs to have a good game. And Stetson had a couple turnovers there at Mississippi State. He also had an incredible run, Heisman Trophy highlight moment, made some great throws. But I think he's going to need to be consistent because I think Kentucky is a little bit more dangerous than Mississippi State was, even though they're coming off this terrible loss and in Mississippi State was undefeated at home. I think this is a, a wounded wildcat that you got backed into a corner and Georgia had better take care of them because the longer Kentucky stays in this game, the better the odds are that they could have a chance to win. Now let's talk college football playoffs. I've written a lot about this lately and uh, I did my top 10. I vote on the uh, college football writers, um, football writers association of America. It's called the uh, NFF super 16 poll. And of course I had Georgia number one, uh, probably no surprise to any of you. I had Ohio state number two. I had Tennessee number three, uh, TCU four, Michigan five, USC six, Clemson, LSU, Alabama, North Carolina. And those rankings are important in the sense of it, it kind of 
gives you kind of a preview into the future. You heard North Carolina there, 10. North Carolina's only got one loss, and North Carolina belongs in the college football playoff committee's power five one-loss teams. They're technically still in it. Now, North Carolina, I think, would so many different things would have to happen. I don't think North Carolina would. But the fact that North Carolina is going to be a one-loss team, that's going to be important as Clemson looks to build their resume, right? So to me, the teams that if they went out that would control their own destiny, Georgia, obviously, Ohio State, Michigan, they both control their own destiny. TCU is undefeated. If TCU wins the Big 12 and is undefeated, they're in. And then I think USC controls their own destiny. I think a one-loss USC that wins the Pac-12 title game with Caleb Williams, the Heisman Trophy candidate, would get the nod over a one-loss Tennessee. But that is, to me, I think that's going to be really hard for USC to win out because USC plays UCLA and then they play home to Notre Dame and then they play in a Pac-12 championship game, maybe, maybe Oregon, right? So I think it's going to be very, very tough. TCU would have to win out. What does TCU have left? At Baylor, tough game, Dave Miranda. You remember him, former LSU defense coordinator. Then they're home against Iowa State. And then they play in a Big 12 championship game. I think TCU is going to slip. I mean, they've done an incredible job getting this far and beating Texas. And, oh, my gosh, what is Arch Manning going to be thinking right now about Texas? All gas, no brakes, the lanyard said. Well, it was like all brakes, no gas. I mean, I'm looking at the game at zero, 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 zero. Like, Texas is doing nothing. And they got this elite running back, and they got this elite quarterback, and they got home and college football game day, and they're getting shut out and then held to a field goal. I'm like, this is terrible. This is terrible. I mean, I, I got a real question, but the point is this. I think TCU is going to lose, and I think USC is going to lose. And I think Ohio State is going to beat Michigan. And my playoffs become the, the four teams that get in then. I got number one, Georgia. I got number two, Ohio State. I got number three, Tennessee. I got number four, Clemson. I think a one-loss Clemson that wins the ACC championship game gets picked ahead of a one-loss Michigan that loses to Ohio State that doesn't play in the Big Ten championship game because Michigan did not schedule effectively. Now, if Michigan beats Ohio State and it's a one-loss Ohio State, I think Ohio State gets in over Clemson. Why? Because Ohio State beat Notre Dame and Notre Dame beat Clemson, right? So this is going to be real interesting. Now, again, if TCU wins out, they're in. I think if USC wins out, they're in. We know that the Michigan-Ohio State winner, if they win out, they're in. We know Georgia's in. I think Georgia could probably even lose one. You know, I didn't want to say it, but I think Georgia's in. It's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens here over the next few. It'll play itself out, and I know a lot of people are freaking out right now. And when we bring Jeremy on here in just a few minutes, he's going to get into that. He's going to talk about uh, how he thinks the playoffs are going to play out and what team he thinks is definitely in. Um, but first things first, I want to finish up with Jalen Carter. This, to me, is, is one of the best stories of the year. Jalen gets hurt on the first snap, and he soldiers through the next, what, five, six games on a bad foot, and then he sprains the uh, MCL uh, against, I think it was, was it against Missouri? He missed two games. He comes back and plays 48 snaps against Tennessee. That's remarkable. And I said, oh, that, that can't happen again. Defensive tackles do not play that many snaps. You're not going to see this guy play more than 30 snaps the rest of the year. Guess what? He played 40 
against Mississippi State. He was a wrecking machine. He had seven tackles. He had another sack. He had another curb. If you want to know the secret to George's late-season defensive surge, look no further than number 88. And with all due respect to Brock Bowers, who may one day be an NFL Hall of Famer, if you're asking me who the best player on the team is right now, it's number 88. Brock Bowers, close second. Brock Bowers, the guy on offense. Jalen Carter is doing incredible things in the trenches, and hopefully he'll get some recognition because I, I know he missed a couple games, and really the first half of the season, it really wasn't in his best form because he was playing the injury. But now that he's healthy, NFL teams are watching. I think there's a chance that Jalen Carter could be the number one overall pick. And I know a lot of people thought Will Anderson was going to be that guy. I know C.J. Stroud looks real good. I know Caleb Williams looked good. Teams may need a quarterback. But number 88 is, is like – and he's not in Dominican Sioux or Aaron Donald yet, but he's doing some amazing things. He's doing some amazing things, and he is keying the defensive run and the defensive charge as Georgia gets closer and closer and closer to the SEC championship game and I think the college football playoff. I think they're going to play in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Right now, I mean, as we sit here, Georgia is without a doubt a favorite to win the national title. Now, things can change quickly, and Kirby Smart's not going to get that far ahead. I guarantee he is focused on practice, on Kentucky. You know, sure, somebody might be looking at LSU film, one of those 100 you know, analysts that they have hired, but the focus of this team is on Kentucky. Kirby knows. Kirby, Kirby understands. Uh, I want to take a short break. Uh, want to recognize our sponsor, Ingles, right now. We're talking about Kirby knows, Ingles knows, Ingles knows how to serve their customers. Ingles always been there for us. We certainly appreciate the consistency and the service from our partner, Ingles. Let's take this moment now and recognize Ingles. When we come back, Jeremy Pruitt joins me. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the show. Jeremy Pruitt joins us now. And Coach, always appreciate your segments each Monday. Uh, I want to start out talking about last Saturday night's game between Georgia and Mississippi State. And, and this was a game that you told us could prove a little tricky. I think your, your sentiment was that, hey, Georgia's going to be ready for Florida. Georgia's going to be ready for Tennessee. But Kirby's toughest coaching job would be preparing for Mississippi State and Kentucky. I'll let you elaborate a little bit on that. And then also, you've been to Mississippi State plenty of times. Why is that a tough place to play? Well, first of all, just starting with the first two ball games, Florida and, and Tennessee uh, obviously speak for themselves. You got the rivalry, the Florida Georgia rivalry. And then you had Tennessee coming in, the number one ranked team in the country. Uh, Georgia played really well in those two weeks. Then they got a chance to go on the road against Mississippi State, which uh, is kind of a sneaky good team. They have their moments. Uh, Starkville's a tough place to play. It's just human nature uh, not to sustain. That's why, to me, when I look at what Georgia has been able to do this year, it's a remarkable job by uh, Kirby and his staff and the players and everybody involved in the program. Uh, it's just naturally uh, everybody wants to have relief syndrome after they've had 
a lot of success. And there's been a lot of success over the last 18 months in, in Athens. So, um, you know, I, I think they played really well on the road. They had some uh, some things that didn't go their way during the game, uh, some coachable moments in the game, but they responded uh, and finished that game off and uh, secured the East. So, uh, again, they've secured the East, but they're going to go on the road this week uh, in Lexington where it's going to be it's going to be a chilly day in Lexington, uh, you know, and, and, and come and playing against a Kentucky team that uh, honestly has not played very well the last couple of weeks. And uh, so could be an easily trap game here for, for Georgia. Yeah, certainly in that sense, before we move forward any further, I want to ask you a little bit, I want to get off the beaten path. Now, Alabama and Old Miss and part of LSU clinched in the West was Old Miss losing, but was that a crossroads game for Alabama? I mean, I, listen, I know you coached under Coach Saban. You've got as much respect for him as anybody, but Alabama was on the verge of losing a third game. And, and Lane Kiffin, you know, uh, you know, conversely, was on an opportunity to really take that Ole Miss program a step forward and, and beat Alabama. I mean, he had Alabama at home. He had the momentum. Bama was down. I mean, how consequential was that game? Is it just one game? Am I making too much out of it, Jeremy, or was that really important? that Bama was able to assert itself and beat Ole Miss? Well, I think it was important um, for Coach Saban and, and the players in, within the program to respond. Uh, it's the first time that this group of guys uh, had not played in a game that had uh, SEC or national title uh, implications. Uh, they responded on the road uh, playing Ole Miss, who, who has a good football team, and they were playing for an opportunity to win the West and to stay in the, the national title hunt. So, you know, they, it, Ole Miss got off to a fast start and Alabama responded again to me, in my opinion, they have two of the best players in the country and Bryce Young and Will Anderson, not to mention they've got other great players, but to me, those two stick out and um, they found a way to win on the road. Yeah, it was impressive. Impressive win for Nick Saban in Alabama. Maybe out of the college football playoff hunt, probably, most likely. Knocks Old Miss out. Um, great recruiting class coming in for Alabama. But for those that wondered, Bama not dead yet. We'll see what happens with that program moving forward. You wonder if during this offseason, if Nick Saban, uh, you know, reevaluates, you know, how he runs his program. And, you know, I think we're going to see more physicality certainly moving forward. And speaking of physicality, LSU played an Arkansas team that did not – have their starting quarterback, but they did bring their defense. Jaden Daniels was sacked seven times, and yet LSU comes out of this game with a win. And I, I don't know how to quite explain or put into perspective what LSU's done winning the West, Jeremy. If anybody can appreciate it, it's probably you. What would you say about Brian Kelly, LSU, and, and the fact that, I mean, the Bayou Bengals on top of the SEC West going to the SEC championship game? You know, last week I picked Arkansas to upset – LSU, and I think LSU caught a break with K.J. Uh, Jefferson not playing. I think if he plays in that game the way uh, LSU played, Arkansas probably would have won. You need luck uh, at times to, to, you know, win either side, East or the West or the SEC or, or, or even a national championship. Sometimes you need luck uh, involved there. So I think that, um, you know, just finding a way to win a close game, Arkansas had their chances in the game. Um, I think LSU continues to – they're improving on defense. They're playing really good defense. Uh, they're going to struggle to drop back and throw the football. Uh, they've got a young offensive line 
Um, and that's not that's not good in this league because there's really good pass rushers in this league. So, uh, but they did find a way. And I, again, you have to give Brian Kill and his staff a lot of credit. Uh, it's not easy winning on the road. It doesn't matter if they're playing with the first quarterback, second, or third. It's still not easy in this league. I'm trying to think, their coordinator's name House is that is the the D coordinator. What, yeah, tell me, what's what's his what's what's his scheme? What's what's there? Obviously, they've got great talent up front. We're seeing a lot of Harold Perkins Jr. highlights, but Tequil Spikes was going on and on about the other three down linemen. And what is it in in layman's terms, uh, Cliff Notes version? What what is it LSU is doing with their defensive fronts to be effective? Well, he has a history with Mark Stoops. Um, he he worked for Coach Stoops for a while. He went to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, worked for for Spags. Uh, do a great job blitzing, creating one on ones and pass rush. Uh, so uh, a very aggressive style. Um, if you watch them play, they give you a lot of different looks. You know, and and they they. Uh, created. They've got a young pass rusher there that that had four sacks this past weekend. Um, so you know, again, they're playing good defense. They they they've got to clean up special teams a little bit. Uh, they had another special teams deal the other day, and they had a lot of penalties. But you know, when they don't turn the ball over uh, and they eliminate some of these special teams issues that they've had early in the year, uh, they can be a dangerous team. You know, Jaden Daniels can hurt you with his feet. He's got a live arm. Uh, just if they can give him enough time to to sit in there and deliver the football. Reminds me a little bit of Damian Craig once he takes off a foot. Of course, you were at Auburn uh, at the Auburn-Texas A&M game. This is curious. One of your favorite stadiums. You, you, you're a big proponent of the power of Jordan-Hare Stadium. Haven't been in there plenty of times. I've seen it myself. I've said the same things. I think Auburn has the biggest home field advantage in the SEC that I've noted over the years. Uh, what was it like being at Jordan Hare Stadium to see Cadillac Williams and, of course, your old roommate, Will Friend, I mean, going all the way back to Bama, he's on a part of that staff as well. Uh, paint that picture, that environment, and tell me about that game. Well, you, you, you got um, two teams that are one in five in the SEC, and it was a, it was a packed stadium. Uh, yeah. you, you would have thought that this would have had SEC West, in, in, you know, um, you know, the, the outcome would affect the SEC West, but uh, obviously the the Auburn faithful rallied around Cadillac. I think he's done a really nice job of of making it about Auburn, um, the, the the Auburn family, and um, you know it, it shows you about the pride of of the Auburn nation, how they bought in and and they were there, and it was an electric atmosphere, and it was an ugly game. Uh, obviously, uh, two teams that struggled offensively but the one thing that Auburn did is they ran the football uh, and they really kind of dominated the game in that fashion even though it was close there I thought Auburn done a nice job and uh, hey found a way to win the game yeah I was impressed you know even watching I went to an Auburn game this year to see him play LSU and I mean shoot it 17-0 Auburn midway through the second quarter uh, before Robbie fumbles the ball. So, I mean, I, I think Auburn packs a little bit of a punch. And, and I thought the same thing you did. Even going back then, uh, you know, it was pretty clear it wasn't going to be a special season for Auburn. And yet that Jordan-Hare crowd just comes out. And you got to say that for the Auburn fans. They're very loyal. They're very supportive. I mean, some stadiums, I, I don't want to say many, but there's probably a couple in the SEC that, that would have had a lot of empty seats. But I didn't see that at Jordan-Hare. Obviously, you didn't either. And, and a great win for, for Cadillac. And I, and I want to ask you about uh, Cadillac Williams. And I remember covering – actually, I remember when he visited Tennessee, he was actually committed at one point 
to Tennessee. They had Cedric Houston and Cadillac committed, and then Auburn flipped him, Tuberville and his staff. I think they sent an Army assistant out to his house, showed him a picture of Bo Jackson with his face superimposed. It was a secondary violation, but no sour grapes there. Uh, what about the, the potential for Cadillac Williams to get this job? I know he's the interim, but like where my mind goes is if he beats Alabama, I mean, the importance of this game, I don't know people who haven't been directly involved don't understand, but if Cadillac Williams beats out, is there any shot? Is there any shot at all that Auburn would consider him for this head coaching job? Well, I think absolutely um, the respect uh, that everybody that's attached with Auburn has for Cadillac and, you know, not only as a player, but the coach that he's becoming. And he's had an opportunity the last two weeks to be the interim head coach. And there's obviously been a different product on the field. Um, you, you put, let's put ourselves in the shoes of John Cohen. Uh, he's going to be aggressive in this search with, with NIL, with the transfer portal. Um, you know, the day, the day after the Alabama Auburn game, uh, he's going to need to be moving really fast to secure Auburn, uh, its next coach. Um, to me, that's, that's a negative for Cadillac. Uh, because John Cohen's going to work really fast. Uh, I'm sure the first day that he got on the job, he's working to try to secure and and might even have already uh, possibly offered somebody a job. And you look at Cadillac, he's really got four weeks in a body of work. Um, this deal with Auburn might be done as far as who the head coach is before uh, as soon as next Saturday. It might not be might not be official but it could possibly be done behind the scenes if that makes sense. So uh, if Cadillac was to win out, uh, and I think they've got a tough game this weekend against Western Kentucky. Uh, Western Kentucky can score score points. Uh, Tyson Helton's done a phenomenal Yeah, job. you're former offensive yeah. coordinator there. So it's going to be a tough game for Auburn at home. Um, but I, I, just me personally, I don't think it's any um, – you know, disrespect to Cadillac, but I think this is going to be work behind the scenes and can possibly uh, John Cohen could already have his guy preliminary as soon as, uh, you know, the end of this week, you know, which which doesn't do Cadillac a favor, you know, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm making sense here with Mike. Yeah. Well, the, the, the calendar's changed, right? Because yeah. of the portal now. I mean, this, this didn't used to be this. They didn't used to be right. the, Let's just call it. it used to be, this is the free agency window. I mean, it, it kind of changed a few years ago. I think you might have been a, um, a benefactor when you got hired at Tennessee because the early signing period was such a big deal. Part of the reason why Tennessee moved on from Butch Jones with games remaining in the season, when Cade Mays decommitted, that's when everybody said, okay, we, we got to fix this because we can't lose any more recruits. We got to get the next guy in here. And once Cade decommitted, it, it was over for Butch. It was over for Butch after he lost to Kentucky earlier in the year, but it's just a matter then of, like you said, the semantics of it. How do you work this deal behind the scenes? And everybody remembers, uh, you know, they, they had the big, you know, hiring deal there with the Rutgers coach and, and was he involved with Joe? There was all sorts of stuff going on with ADs and then coach Fulmer comes into the picture and you emerged as the finalist with Mel Tucker and Kevin Steele were the other ones. And, you know, some people thought Kevin Steele was going to get the job. You'd been rumored for, you know, Mississippi State, among other places. So it, there's a lot of moving pieces and parts. And I remember trying to cover all that and thinking, how crazy must this be? Now you've got this free agency period, this transfer portal window, 
where you really better have your guy in place. I mean, before you had early signing days, like third week in December, now you've moved it up. So I agree, Jeremy. I think they've probably already had their two or three finalists, probably had the search committee and agents and all that stuff involved. So uh, things have gotten moving so fast now. It just strikes me as I don't know if this is good for college football, but it's just kind of where we're at, right? Yeah, it's, it's – uh, well, the unfortunate part is, to me, um, you got a guy like uh, Carnell Williams who's who's done a fantastic job uh, rallying the troops. I mean, uh, Auburn was not in a good place uh, right. before he took over, and uh, he's got them believing. He's got them bought in to just being an Auburn man. You know, growing up in the out in the state of Alabama – uh, that's one of the things you hear about being an Auburn man uh, and a lot of pride, uh, a lot of character. A lot, I mean, just competing against Auburn University over the years, a lot of respect, right? Um, so he, he's got them rallying around. Um, if he's not the guy, Mike, here's the question. If he's not the guy, do they find a place for him on the staff? It's my belief. There's some really good coaches, coaches on Auburn staff right now, and I think we've seen some of that in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, these guys have kind of rallied around and worked together and, and put a really good product on the field. Well, and, and one of the reasons why now you might be more inclined to keep a former staff member than maybe you were before is because of the portal. You, you sure. retain these coaches. They have relationships. And I don't know if it's true to this extent, but back when I covered Alabama and you were there and Freddie was there when I covered, uh, you know, Tennessee, the assistant coaches – were almost like surrogate parents. The relationships they had with the players were very, very close. You still see kids going to the assistants' homes, and recruiting schedules are, are, are more pressure now where these coaches maybe can't spend as much time with the current players, which is one of the things Kirby's actually bemoaned and pointed out during the COVID year. You actually could get that bond like you used to get. But this, this changes the dynamic a little bit. used to be, you know, new coach takes over, He's cleaning house. He wants everybody that speaks his language, everybody that owes their job and their loyalty to him. But now I think some of these uh, really talented assistant coaches, now there's more value because they got to retain the guys that are there. Because guess what? If they go somewhere else, they might just take a player or two with them that wants to continue to play for that position coach <clears throat> that they committed to, you know, whenever. So this is going to be another interesting dynamic to see if, we might see more retention of staff members at schools, uh, particularly the, the, the more valued uh, position coaches that build these relationships and are already into next year's class, next year's commitment, the, the 2024, the 2025. He's already identified. He's already built. There's some value to that. It's going to be very interesting. Before we circle back and talk about Georgia at Kentucky, I want to ask you about Tennessee. Uh, Hendon Hooker continues to impress a guy that your staff signed along, along with Hyatt, very important guys that Josh was able to, uh, you know, maintain when he took the job, but they're scoring 66 points. There's been a lot of talk about should they have scored, you know, should they have had Joe Milton, you know, throw a, a deep pass when he came in in under two minutes and should they have punched in another touchdown with 36 seconds left against Eli Drinkwitz in Missouri. And uh, I, I'm not sure where you are at with this, Jeremy. There's some Spurrier comparisons. I think Spurrier was more art of war. I'm going to get you before the next game, get in your head. To me, this seems like this is a byproduct of the college football playoffs and the fact that, that Josh is trying to make sure that Tennessee is the most attractive one loss at large out there. 
Well, um, I mean, you can look at it a bunch of different ways. And I think it's a, a philosophical thing. You know, I played for Gene Stylins, Coach Stylins. Um, he, he was, um, you know, he didn't, he didn't believe in running up the score. Uh, and, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of 19 to seven games that were really beat downs, just to be honest, you know. Uh, but um, the reality of it is, is, you know, Missouri's got coaches on their sideline too. You know, they're, they're paid to, to keep Tennessee from, from scoring. That's the way I looked at it when, when uh, I was on the wrong end of something like that, you know, uh, they pay us to, to be coaches also. Um, so, uh, and you got to look at it too. Um, you know, those guys that were second and third teamers that were out there that were playing for Tennessee, they've got to continue to develop as football players, you know, and you only get so many opportunities to do that. Uh, so, you know, you can look at it both ways. I really, uh, I don't have that really big of opinion on it. I think it's either or, right? Um, so I saw it. I saw the the long pass right before uh, with a minute left in the game and then running the ball in. I mean, to me, it would have been more embarrassing to take a knee on the one-yard line if I was on the other sideline. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're going to – yeah, if you're going to drive that far, uh, you might as well stick it in there. Uh, now, Georgia goes to Kentucky, and you, you've been in the locker room of a number one team that's going to a place like Kentucky that just – suffered a humiliating loss, first team to lose to Vanderbilt at home in the SEC since Arkansas in 2018. You got guys like Will Levis. You got guys like Chris Rodriguez. I mean, they, they got some cats that that came in with all the preseason decoration. First time in the preseason top 25, I believe, since 1978. And you're coming off a loss like that, but you're playing the number one team. And again, you, you've been on those staffs at, at Alabama where Bama was that one team coming in and getting everybody. Just how challenging do you expect this game to be and how important is the first quarter in Lexington next Saturday in the 3.30 CBS nationally televised game? Well, obviously, it's, it's, it's very important for Georgia. I mean, they're, they're, they're in the national title uh, conversation here. They're, they're defending champions, and uh, they, they obviously don't need a loss. Uh, I look at Kentucky, um, you know, these guys uh, obviously have got to be disappointed the way that things have turned out for this year. Uh, but you got to believe that there's a lot of character and a lot of fight uh, within that program. Uh, we've seen it over the years with Mark Stoops. I think they've got to go back and figure out the details. You know, uh, why are we turning the football over? Uh, how do we get off the field on third down? Uh, just get back to the details, and and they may play their best game all year, and it might not be good enough to beat Georgia. Georgia's that good. Uh, but I do believe you just hit it in the first quarter. Um, um, very similar to uh, to a lot of big games that we see. I, I think uh, last week or two weeks ago when Alabama went to LSU, I do not believe LSU thought they could beat Alabama, but as the game went on, they started believing, the fans started believing. So I think it's going to be important uh, if you look at Georgia to jump on them early uh, so the, the fans don't get into it. Uh, and likewise, it's going to be important for Kentucky to kind of weather the storm uh, in the first quarter and just kind of uh, give themselves a chance, get to the fourth quarter, and and hopefully have a chance to pull off the upset. I just want to ask you this question before we let you go, Jeremy. College football playoff committee, it changes every year. It's a 13-member committee. Kirby said after 2018 that, you know, they, it changes every year as far as what they look at. 
do you like this system that's in place better than better than the 12 team system as someone that played as someone that coached um, the regular season used to be the playoff. I think to a degree it still is one. And then two, as far as how this thing works out, I mean, you were part of an Alabama staff in 2017 that got in as an at large. You were not, uh, you didn't play in the, in the SEC championship game. Tennessee looks to be in that position right now. Do you think they should put a priority on the teams that win conference championship games one? And do you like it at four teams better than maybe what we're about to enter into with 12 teams? Well, you know, I like it at four teams, but I've not I've seen I've not seen it at eight or twelve teams, right? So uh, after experiencing that, I might say, hey, I like it better this way. You know, it's probably uh, where you're at in the conversation. You know, if I was coaching on a two win team right now, I mean, excuse me, on a two loss team right now, I'd probably like the twelve team uh, playoff as opposed to the four team. You know, to me, over the years, just looking at it, it seems like most of the time they've gotten it right. Um, and I see everybody gets all caught up to where they're ranked when the playoffs come out. It don't matter right now. You know, it, it, it's going to matter in three weeks after these, uh, you know, these conference championship games. You know, I've sat there uh, twice now, not just in 17, but in, uh, in 11. We didn't play for the SEC championship uh, and, and end up, you know, playing LSU again. Uh, and for the national championship game. Um, so, you know, I've seen it work both ways. Uh, you know, I, I, to me, like, I do not see how, if Tennessee wins out, they're in the college football playoffs. I believe that. I believe that. Uh, to a one loss team in the SEC belongs in the college football playoffs. I believe that. Well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it I'm plays on, out. I'm on, I'm, on, I'm on stand on that hill and down that hill. I believe that. I, and I think TCU and USC will probably cooperate and lose one of their last three games because that's the only scenario that I see for Tennessee to be left out is if Georgia wins out, okay, they finish undefeated, and then you got uh, the Ohio State-Michigan winner, they go undefeated. If TCU goes undefeated and wins their conference championship game, Okay, the discussion then becomes USC with one loss and Caleb Williams, and they'll have just beaten UCLA, Notre Dame, and probably Oregon. That, you know, now, and, and they haven't had a Pac-12 team, uh, Jeremy, since 2016. The politics, but I'm with you. Tennessee, without a doubt, is one of the four best teams in the country. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That is the only scenario, though, to me for for uh, Tennessee to get left out. Not only do I think TCU is going to lose and USC is going to lose, I think Clemson is going to be the team that comes through the back door, provided that Ohio State beats Michigan, because Michigan's schedule isn't that good. Now, if Michigan beats Ohio State and it's close, Ohio State beat Notre Dame. I think that, that carries weight, especially when you're comparing Ohio State to Clemson, which just lost to Notre Dame. So this is going to be – there's a, the plot's going to thicken – it, Jeremy's thinking this is way too much. These guys just need oh. to play football, right? <laughs> hey, hey, what what we say? Alabama needed to win. They did. LSU needed to win. They did. So Alabama probably is going to win out. Uh, I just strength the schedule. Uh, Tennessee's in. I don't think nobody needs to sweat it. They're in. They need to worry about winning these next two weeks, and then who they're going to play next. Well, I, I, I know I know one group that, that doesn't want to play him again inside on a neutral field, but 
but uh, they're worried about Kentucky right now. Somebody actually asked Kirby about. I don't. I don't believe that, Mike. You think they want him? You think Georgia wants him again? I think Georgia will play whoever, whenever, wherever. I, that's my belief. I don't think they're worried about who they play. They worried about. They're going to worry about themselves. Oh yeah, I, no, I, I don't. I don't think Kirby's sweating any blood. He right now he's worried about the first play against Kentucky. I know. Nah. <laughs> That's how you guys are built he, he's not that far. We're just on Monday. He's not worried about the first play. He's worried about today's practice, I can assure you. <laughs> no doubt about it. Great insight, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you guys joining us uh, every Monday night on Angles on the Beat. Uh, I want to thank our producer, Michael Carvel. Uh, great job. Thank you, Michael. Uh, for Jeremy Pruitt, this is Mike Griff. Everybody enjoy the rest of the week. Should be a fun one Saturday in Lexington, Kentucky.